Our passage this morning comes from the book of Hebrews. It's a, a favorite passage of mine. Uh, if you would mind, if you're able to, let's stand as we read from God's word, word together. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this time. Uh, again, open your word to us, teach us, feed us, build us up, Lord, um, that we may know you better, that we may love you more, that our hearts be filled of you and of your things, and that we would be able to lift our eyes up from this world to look with hope and anticipation for the world that you've promised us to come, that we may truly live faithfully. So bless this time, Lord, and ask for your help as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I, I, when I heard about uh, the approval of Evan, I was, I was, there was a, a bittersweet feeling because I, I, I have been wanting for you guys to have someone to, to lead you on and, and see where he takes you, but there's also that bittersweet of, ah, oh, that means I, I might not see you as much as, as frequently, and that's it's sad. And it, it, the immediate thought, the immediate thought that, that it, flashed in my mind is it reminds me of the end of one of my favorite movies, and I don't, I'm not ashamed to say this here, but one of my favorite movies is, is Mary Poppins. <laughs> because it is, it is not the movie that you expect, and it is brilliantly done. Because if you follow me for a moment, I, I might, it chokes me up when I think about this still, but, but the beauty of the film, I think I feel this as a dad especially, is the film's not about Mary Poppins. The film's about the dad and the redemption of a dad who thought he was doing the right thing, but wasn't. And through a set of circumstances instigated by Mary Poppins often, he's redeemed and at the end, um, there's this exchange between Mary Poppins and her umbrella. This is what you get when you have the background. Um, <laughs> this, this, the father <laughs> flying kites with the kids, Things, things have been restored as they ought to be. And the, and the, the umbrellas, the parrot and the umbrella is saying, you know, aren't you, aren't you they, they've forgotten you already. And the response is, that's as it should be. That's, and I think there's, again, just a beautiful story. But it's, it's one that, that you can see in saying that she's expressing a gratitude for, for the role that she served. This is, this is the right thing to do, to move on. I've, I've fulfilled my obligation, it's time for me to go, but no resentment, no bitterness, no thought of anything other than gratitude. And that's, that, that sums up well how I feel. I, I have valued the time here, and I hope that, that if Evan ever needs, I, I'm happy to come and, and serve you guys, but this is as it should be. You, you shouldn't have me here every other weekend. Um, <laughs> 
or anybody else. I wouldn't inflict that on anybody, but I have valued it very much and I'm thankful for the opportunity and I, it's been, it's been a, a treat to do that and it's again a treat to do this today. It is no hardship at all for me to come over here from, from the east side. So thank you and I, I'm again just excited for you. But there's also a point to sharing that because it, it ties with this passage. Um, this passage uses something that I think for those of us in the Reformed world, we aren't really tuned well to, and that's a, a picture, a picture that, that tells a story. Um, I, I know this is a bit of a, a caricature, but I think it is, I think it does hold up pretty well that, that those of us in the Reformed world, those of us who hold to the confessions and the creeds, we, we tend to think and act and view things in terms of statements, of propositional statements of truth which I am not against. We, we just affirm that in, in the creeds, and actually you see in the creeds an attempt to bridge this world between what we affirm and what we, what we experience. There's a poetry to it that, that doesn't just take true statements, though truth does all the work itself by capturing our, our minds and our hearts. But we need that part, we need that exercised. And that, that, feels, that can feel scary. I know in certain, in certain churches I grew up in, to talk about movies, to talk about pictures, to talk about stories was threatening because that could get us off of what's true though. Because stories and pictures are messy. They don't always cover all the bases or they might, they're, they're not always complete or they, they might include some other ways of looking at them that make things messy and fuzzy and all that. But, but there's no questioning the power of a picture. There's no question the power of a story and it's, oftentimes an underdeveloped muscle in our corner of the church. And one that, that I, was, I was definitely much more uh, uh, prone to. And I feel like only in the last few years um, have learned more to appreciate that. Um, but let, let me, give me give you an example. I used this example a few years ago when I was talking to a group of our students. I, I was talking about disappointment I said, it's like when you get an oatmeal cookie, nice warm oatmeal cookie straight out of the oven, and you bite into it only to realize that's an oatmeal raisin cookie. <laughs> and right, I've just used a simple picture that the reaction was just like this. It was just like there's this laugh groan, like, oh, because, and apologies to those of you who like oatmeal raisin cookies. The Lord bless you. Your, your brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't know. It does not compare to chocolate chip. And when you bite in and get that, it's like, ah, oh, this isn't what I expected. You can do so much with that picture. You do so much with, with something like, like, like what I was saying about Mary Poppins. You can do, I, I know, I mean, I feel like I'm plugging movies. I'm not plugging movies, but, but, but movies speak so much to me lately. Um, the, latest, the latest Indiana Jones movie is for three-fourths of it, you can, kind of, you can kind of miss three-fourths of the movie, but the ending nails it. And it captures something that's, that speaks to the heart in a way that you wouldn't expect from a movie series like that. But it's very human, very, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's, it's wonderful. Stories and pictures have a way of doing that. They speak to things in a way that don't just, we can just see, but, but we feel. And it, and it affects us in a way that it's not just, the, not just for the purpose of affecting us, but when we talk about motivation, when we talk about things that we aspire towards, we need that extra, right? 
And we're going to talk about this, this picture of the race in a moment that we're seeing in, in Hebrews 12. I can tell you all the different ways in which running a race is healthy for you, but that won't make any of us want to run by itself unless you're of that persuasion. Most of us need a reason to run, especially if it would say, let's run a marathon. Well, you have to work hard to incentivize that, that activity. It, the writer here is talking about something very challenging. This is, this is the race of your life. Not, not just in terms of importance, but in terms of distance. This begins at, at the beginning of your life as a Christian, and it ends with your last breath. That's a long time. It's a long time. It's a long time, especially if you're in your 20s and 30s. It's a long time, well, maybe a little bit less long when you're in your 40s, and then that cap starts to close with alarming speed after that. And there's a lot that's involved in that. Um, but, these, but these pictures are helpful for us in understanding how to look at what, what it means to, to run this race as a Christian and, and how to be, to maintain, not just the motivation, but the focus for that. So I, I, I see oftentimes, at least in my own heart, I, I see it in a lot of different places, that our default is to fall back on, it's good for you, it's good for me, or it's the right thing to do, rather than I want this. I want this for myself. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this last time, but it was, I was, when I was teaching over in Romania a couple months ago, and we were talking about discipleship, and it, it occurred to me to ask them, it's like, what, what, why would you want to follow Jesus? What, what, would, what would make you want to follow him? What is it about him? And I don't want the Sunday school answer. I don't want the because he's God, or because he's true, or because he's, 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 it's what you're supposed to do. But, but to really look at him and say, why would you want to follow him? If you were to meet him, what, what, would you, what would compel you to want to follow him? That's a different kind of answer, isn't it? That makes you think about these things. For me, it makes me realize I've absorbed and I, I, I affirm all the true things about Jesus. He is God. He is this and that. He is, he is perfect. He is good. He's died for my sins. I can affirm all those things, but that doesn't bring me close to him which is what Paul, this is how Paul writes. I want to know him more. That's my pursuit, not, not just about him. So, so we look at, want to look at this passage, but to give you a little background here, Hebrews was written because there's a group of Christians who are struggling under significant persecution. We get a, a sense of what they're facing in, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 32 where he writes, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, I think there he means of their, their conversion to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And what makes that interesting is not only did they suffer, but if there's, there's suggestions and evidence throughout that these were, these, this group of Christians in particular were Jewish converts, that, that at least some of this persecution could have been coming from their own people, their own neighbors, their own friends, maybe even their own family. 
This cost them, and they were wavering. They were struggling. This is hard. This is too hard. This isn't what we expected. It's not worth it. And, and in that struggle, there was this, the, the author seems to be writing to people that were not just ready to give it up, but were thinking, you know, let's just go back to where we came from. Let's go back to the Judaism of our youth. We know that. That's, that's good. There's a lot to merit there. There's the history behind it. And, and I think most significantly, it gets us out from under this pressure that we're facing now as, as followers of Christ. And the author answers this in part by giving them this picture. Um, this picture of a race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul uses this picture a few times. Um, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now there, there's, some, there's some things about what Paul writes here that I don't find in what we're looking at in Hebrews. The emphasis in our passage seems to be on the need for endurance. The recognition, this is a long race. That's a race that's full of many challenges. We have many things to contend with besides persecution, not to mention the persecutions, but just the challenges of life, the failures that come in life, the realities of, of just day-to-day living, let alone those that hit us in, in the course of following Christ himself. But we need to endure. We need to hold fast, not lose heart. And our goal, as in a race, is not just to run hard, but to finish. I want to call your attention to an earlier passage. This is Hebrews 3.12. Because this, this, is, this is where the imagery, the picture gets a little bit, comes a little bit close to sounding like something it's not. And I think we need some care with thinking about this. Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The Christian life is not simply a matter of how we start, but of how we finish. Here's what that's not saying. We are saved by our finishing. That is, that is not, we, we can't. We're saved by grace, not by works, amen? Salvation is from the Lord, this is not us. And yet, and yet, we see again and again in scripture, this emphasis though, that if we are to be saved, we must persevere. Hebrews is actually really valuable here because they use the, he draws on the example of the people of Israel. Here's the people who were baptized in the Red Sea, they were God's people. The covenant was made with them. He delivered them. They belonged to the covenant people of God. And yet how many of them died in the desert because of their unbelief? They were all God's people. They had his covenant and his promises, and yet they did not continue in faith. 
They're saved by God, and yet they must persevere in the faith to the end. We must finish strong. Or another way to put it is our effort is not in meeting some standard of righteousness in order to be forgiven, but I I would say combined with this emphasis on endurance, in sharpening and maintaining our focus on the goal of finishing, both in Hebrews 11 and this chapter, endurance and faithfulness seem to be, or endurance and focus seem to be more in view. If you work your way through, and we'll look, at, we'll look at the list here in a little bit, but what's striking about the list that we find in chapter 11 is that each of them is described as living in a particular situation, but looking ahead. They were here, present here, but their focus was somewhere else. And that's faith. You see that even here as Jesus is described. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Endurance and focus go together. I think that's, that's what the author is after here. Maintain your focus in order to endure. Keep your eyes on the prize, as it were. So the question then is, how do we do that? So let's, let's see what he says. And this is, this is where I want to, again, hear this as, see this as a picture in a, in a way that allows your, allows your imagination, as best as you're able to, to visualize this. And not just visualize, try to picture what each of these people looked like, but visualize the settings, the stories that are being talked about in shorthand here. First of all, he says, look to the stands. He's describing this race. You know, it seems like it's, it's modeled after the great um, uh, marathons, the early, the predecessors to the Olympics back in those days, that there'd be people, spectators all around gathered to watch this race. Look to the stands. This great crowd of, cloud of witnesses. Who are they? Well, we see from the pre- previous chapter, it's this, it's this Hall this 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 lineup of faithful men and women from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Moses, the people of Israel, Rahab the prostitute, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, and, and, and there could be more written, the writer says. There's all these people around you. Look to them. Consider them. Don't just know their names. Know their stories. And and you can tell by the way that this is written that that's not just limited to the Old Testament. There are more names than in the Old Testament. There's a whole cast of the New Testament. Men and women both. Young and old both. But I don't think it even stops there. I'm I'm assuming that many of you, I I hope that, that many of you, if not all of you, love biographies. Find help in in Christian biographies and understand that they fit in here. The saints throughout the ages are part of this great cloud of witnesses. Maybe some of them include your own family and friends, people who have faithfully lived, who have run this race and have finished. They are now around you to watch you run, to watch me run. You are, we are, where they once were. We are now on the same track where these legends, we're running the same track as Noah, same track as Daniel, same track as Ruth, same track as Esther, Peter, James, Paul, Mary, Jesus. We're on that same track, in that same stadium, running the same race. 
It reminds me of when I was, when I was in the Navy. When I was in the Navy Reserves, I was a hospital corpsman. And I was doing some training uh, down in San Diego. And, and on the wall of the training center where we were was the, a row of citations for Medal of Honor. It's one of the highest honors that you can give, um, usually posthumous, usually people who have given their lives in conflict. And story after story of mostly young men who risked life and limb to, to administer and to save their friends. And, and the effect is not just to hear those stories, but, but consider the uniform I'm now wearing. I, I'm, wearing the same, I'm wearing the same badges. I'm wearing the same uniform. I've got the same U.S. Navy as they wore. I feel honored to wear it because I don't deserve it. That's something for me to live up to. These things mean something because of their sacrifice. These things mean something because of their faithfulness. And I think that's how we're meant to see that here. When Paul says, I don't run aimlessly as though I'm beating the air, he's not just so I make a good showing, but because he's aware as well of this great cloud of witnesses. Look at how they ran. How could I run this race and aspire to anything less? That's, that's a heart thing, not, not a mind thing. You have to feel that. You have to, you have to think about what it meant to them. That's part of what... Hebrews 11 does so well is gives us these short synopses of this is what it looked like for them to run. And, and importantly, too, that not only did all of these run, but they also finished. That's, that's the problem with the people that Hebrews is written to. And that might be our challenge, too. Is it possible to finish? This is hard. How do I hold on? Look at the world around us. Look at the things that we're faced with. The things that I myself have to deal with or you yourself have to deal with. What, what challenges, what liabilities, what conflicts, what, who knows? How am I supposed to finish? Well, this is where we draw strength from. Because you are undoubtedly, because this, this the bandstands, the, the grandstands are so filled with people, you are bound to find resonance with at least someone there who knows exactly what it's like to do what you are trying to do. And they finished. It's possible. They're also here to help us run. They are people just like us. I, I think that's not, not in the way that we as Americans want to reduce everybody to our level, but, but by the same token, I think what's so Shocking is when you consider that, that great heroes, not just in history, but in the scripture as well, weren't any different than us. They weren't born on clouds. They didn't eat stars for breakfast. They, didn't, they were human. They were human in all, all their strength and in all their weaknesses. They, they, they both succeeded and they failed. I mean, this is... A, you know, on the one hand, this hall of faith is, is inspiring. In another, another sense, it's a murderer's row of failures. For, for those moments where it's not the challenges outside that cause us to question whether or not it's worth finishing, but it's our own failures. It's our own stumbles. It's our own sins that, that get us to question, do I even belong here? as though we can't overcome those, as though we can't learn from those, as though we can't be forgiven of those things. 
As though we can't learn from those. As though sin was somehow strange, as a, a strange external component or, or alien component to the race that we're running. We run as people who struggle with sin in a sinful world. Just like everybody else. They're just like us. And their lives, therefore, are an example for us to learn from, to run as they did, to finish as they did. I mean, I hope, I hope you guys read stories of people who've gone before. I think if you do, you know that experience of reading someone, especially if it's in older style, King James style English, and you kind of work your way through it and realize, I know this person. They know me. I, I understand. This is... I, I know, I, I resonate with them. They see the world the same way I do. How is that possible? They're 600 years prior. So look to the great cloud of witnesses around us for once to help us focus. Second, we need to clear our own path. Anything that gets in our way needs to go. I, I think this is such a valuable, that why this picture is so valuable to us because it properly frames how we ought to view sin. If we tend to view sin as a stain in our record, it's what wrecks our perfect attendance. It's this thing that God just kind of groans and shakes his head. It's like, here we go again. If it's only that, we're not missing. The, the real consequence of sin is that it keeps us from running. The consequence of temptation is that it keeps us from running. That in order for us to run, our focus needs to be clear. And by saying focus doesn't mean we strip everything else out of our lives altogether. We just all, you know, if you're married, sorry. If you have kids, they're on their own. You've got to run this race. It incorporates all the things that God has placed into your life. But at the same time, we have to be wise and deal seriously with the things that entangle us. The desires of this world, the extras, the fears, the regrets, the haunting failures, the relationships, the friendships. We need to be wise. If, if this is what we are called to, to run this race to its end, to run well, then we have to think like an athlete at that point. If you want to run in the Olympics, you're not going to get far on a diet of Twinkies. Nor does getting rid of all food help. You need the right food. You need the right coaches. You need the right equipment. So it's not the zeroing out of everything. It's thinking wise about what helps me, what feeds my soul. That's, that's where devotion should, take, devotion should come in, not as something that we need to tick the box off every day because that's what Christians ought to do, because we realize in our devotions, this is what I need to help me maintain my focus. When I see the craziness outside in the news, when I see the craziness in my own heart, when, I, when I'm faced with fears or doubts or sin or whatever, I, this helps me to clear my vision so that I can see properly again. To know what I'm doing here, to understand what I'm running for, what I need to do next, what's that next step? But that forces us to ask the question, which we should be constantly asking ourselves, but again, is the battle. Which is worth more? What we have now or what is to come? I, 
I grew up in the, in the era where we were so uh, front-loaded on the return of Christ, that's all we focused on, and we, were, we didn't give much thought to this world. It's just like, it's, it's a cardboard castle, it's just gonna crumble and fall and burn up, and who cares? We're, Jesus is coming anytime, thief in the night, you know, be ready. And it feels like we're a little bit in the hangover after that period now, where we, we believe that Jesus is coming again, but we're not really sure if that's gonna happen anytime soon. And what fills that place? Well, everything else. Which is worth more? What we have here, what we can enjoy here, or what is to come? Moses had all the riches of Egypt available to him, and he looked ahead. Abraham was wealthy. He, he had so much, and he looked ahead. They, what they saw was a better place, a better country place where God dwells. That was all ahead. That was in the future. It wasn't seen, but they saw it. And in seeing that, they pursued that and willingly gave up whatever got in the way here. They didn't consider it a loss. When Paul says that I count everything as lost, he doesn't sound like he misses it, does he? It's like, I, I, I have to lighten the load. I have to get things that tangle me out of there. So which is worth more? We have to clear our own path. And finally, I mean, this, try, to, try to picture what he is saying here. We look to Jesus. He's the author of our faith. The whole reason that we are in this race to begin with is because of him. We are here on his invitation. This is his race. That, that's huge. That, that's staggering by itself. What, what have we done to deserve that? We've done absolutely nothing. The, the, the grace that God has given us through Christ to, to bring us into his presence, to bring us to his home, to, to work the great things that he's done for us, is just staggering when you consider it. But not only is he the sole reason for our being in this race, he also ran it. Jesus ran this race, which is significant because it reinforces what Hebrew says earlier, Jesus understands what it's like to run. Jesus himself knows what you suffered. I, I don't know if you, you have this split view of Jesus where, yes, he, he became like us, but he was nothing like us. Yes, he became like us, but he has no idea what anxiety feels like. He has no idea what it's like to feel alone. He has no idea what it's like to feel afraid. I mean, really, because he can just flip the switch whenever it got too hot, right? He's God. But, but that, 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 the emphasis that Hebrews puts on the humanness of Jesus to the point that he knows who we are. And I think that's, that's when you struggle, do you see this in yourself? When you struggle, don't, we, don't you tend to go in the direction of nobody knows what it's like to be me. I know these things are true, but no one knows what I'm going through right now. And it's reasonable because within, you know, you could... You know, nobody knows what it's like to be a 54-year-old man from West Valley in Yakima in this room. I'm safe. I can be the exception here. 
But, but we do that with all sorts of things. And as a result, we push back and we get into our own heads and we lose our focus. But, but if Jesus knows what it's like, if Jesus has been there, in, in all the varied ways that we can imagine, and still ran, and still finished, that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. He's not standing on the outside saying, get over it. What's wrong with you? This isn't hard. He's bleeding on a cross. He's weeping in a garden. He's weeping at the grave of his friend. He feels it. He knows it. He's there. He's present. He gives us what we need. If anyone understands the challenges of life as a Christian, he does. And he not only understands us, but he also gives us our prime example of how to run. He fixed his eyes on what is ahead, and what was ahead was joy. I've talked a lot when I've been with you about Romans 12 and how our, our, minds, need to be remo- our minds need to be renewed. This is an area that I think needs a lot of work, at least for me and maybe for you. I don't look ahead and see joy. I look ahead and see relief. That's not the same. Joy can include relief, but it's not the same. Joy is better than that. It encompasses more. It's not reunion with your lost relatives or lost friends. It's not the absence of pain or sickness. It's more than that. It's a better country. It is beyond the scope of what we can comprehend that much better. And it's better still. I love, I mean, I, whatever qualms you may have about C.S. Lewis, I think he nails the idea of the kingdom of God at the end of the last battle, which I won't read to you because I will not make it. I, won't, I promise you I won't make it. Um, but it's, it's beyond what you can describe and, and captures all of those things in, in just this joyful vision of something of what it must be like. And that's what drives us forward. That's the motivation, that's the goal, that's the prize. I, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm trying to see that, I'm trying to see clearly through that, but that's hard. But that's, that's how Jesus saw things. And, and because of that, he was able to endure everything. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And I don't think in the sense that he, you know, he's like, get away from me, shame. He's like, it doesn't stick. There is no shame dying on the cross. It's worth it. It's worth it for what lies ahead. Whatever you face in this life, whatever hardships, whatever challenges, whatever pain, whatever, 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 is worth it. More than worth it because of what we will receive at the end. And that's where our focus should be. And finally, Jesus is not just the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. Against our tendency to then look at this and say, man, I've really got to get to work. We work knowing that God is at work in us, that we, we will make it to the end because he will bring us to the end. We will endure because he will make us endure. 
that, that we have the assistance that we need. This is a bigger job than what we can do ourselves. But, but God is helping us. He will meet us at the end. He will bring us across the line. We will get there if we keep our focus clear, if we endure as, as they did. So consider where you are in this race. We're all in different places, different seasons. We, we're also, if we were to compare notes, we'd quickly realize that we're not all running exactly the same race. Some of you have, have a little steeplechase pond in front of you. Others have hurdles. Another of you has a broken leg. But we're all dealing with different circumstances in the race. We're all at different places, and yet we all have a race to run. Some of you are just getting started. And all of this, that, that shift that you have to make from this is what I know we're supposed to believe to this is what I believe is a challenging one, but a necessary one. You have to make that move from this is the right thing to do. I want, I want to do the right thing to I want to know him. He, he, he is, my, my, my vision of him is taking shape now. I see that there's not just a good thing to do, but a person to, to love and to desire and to worship. The one who made me, and I'm just starting to get, that's starting to take shape in my mind, in my heart. That's a necessary change, but some of you have been running for a while now, and the need is to... Get, get the little, uh, I don't know, how can I put it in a, an appropriate way on Sunday morning? Motivation in the rear from, from someone else's foot? Where we need, we need to guard against losing our momentum of, of this becoming routine, of our hearts becoming colder, of other things crowding in, other concerns, other interests, other pleasures. But after you run for a while, I mean, we're, we are only human after all. We can't sustain a high level forever. And this is a season where we have to re-energize. It's also a season in our culture where fewer people, fewer people have any sort of friends at all, let alone ones that will help and encourage them. A lot of us are running increasingly alone, and that's not good. It's also a season where we need to be thinking about how to help others run. Share what we've learned. Encourage them, walk with them, pray with them. And then some of you, with every, not, not just with respect, but with a, a kind of awe, you are nearing the end. I, the songs we sang today were not just wonderful, but necessary. It's a good reminder, as much as we can value in this life, as many good things as God can give us in this life to enjoy, there's a better place. You're almost home. How, how do you... I, mean, how, I just can't even imagine. I, I mean, I, I, I look at that with, with a large measure of fear for myself. I want to get to the place where I'm excited, not just because I'm done with this life, but because I really see that for what it's worth. You're almost home. And then eternity. 
Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that focus. Because it comes, it comes with, you know, let's be frank, it comes with loss. It comes with a short-term loss. It means that we'll have to say goodbye. But that's not the final goodbye. That reunion, that reunion will be sweet. That, that place of joy, that place where all things are made new, the, the incomprehensible character of a, of a world in which sin is gone, the curse is gone, and, and we will somehow not just know God, but see him. I, I don't have any categories to place those in except that it's way better. It's worth it. You're almost home. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. We, it's overwhelming to consider who you are in, in how you have dealt with us, how you have talked to us, what you have done on our behalf. It's, it's moments like these where it's just, it, it takes the breath away. What we, can, what we know so well on the one hand, really have no idea what we're talking about on the other. Um, Lord, by your grace, we are in a race a glorious race, a meaningful race, a race that is not just a matter of our own survival, but as an opportunity to glorify you and to be an encouragement and a help to those who come after us. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would run it well. Lord, please help us to, to gain and sustain and sharpen our focus on what really is important that we, like those who've gone before us, would be able to look ahead in faith in such a way that, that we run regardless of what comes our way. We're, we are not deterred. We're not afraid. When we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, we get up and in humility learn from it and we get back going. But we run with increasing speed because the end, the end, the finish line is glorious. Give us a vision for that, Lord. I, mean, I pray for each of us, so wherever, wherever we are in life, that whether we're just beginning or the midpoint or somewhere along the way or, or near the end, Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to run well, to, to live up to the expectations and the standard that has been set already by those who have run before us, but more importantly, to glorify you. So we ask for your help, we ask for your direction, we ask for friends, we ask for every resource that you can assemble to help us run faithfully to the end, through the end. Uh, and Lord, what lies ahead, we can't even imagine, except we know it's better. So I pray that we would do this with great joy and expectation for what comes next. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>